Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through topics which include communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem solving, decision making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, as you are probably very much aware, we are in the midst of a really, really significant war for talent. It's one that is competitive, one that is costly, and one that can be very frustrating. Fortunately, I have the perfect person to talk about that on the show today. Martin Plumley is the president and CEO of Plumley & Associates. They are in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, I've known Martin now since we actually moved here to Middle Tennessee, which is back in 2014. And through the years, I've seen what his company is doing, his outreach, especially I've noticed his work with hiring our heroes and military veterans. But he knows his stuff when it comes to this war for talent. I had a great talk with Martin, and we talked about some of the questions that I know you are probably wrestling with today. So I'm going to encourage you to really tune in, especially toward the end, because I firmly believe that Martin can really help you as you are waging this battle for talent. So let's quit talking about Martin. Let's talk to him. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Make sure that personal item's tucked up under the seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Martin Plumley, welcome to the show. Mac, good morning. Great to talk to you. Great to be with you. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, Martin, I met you, I think, when I first moved to Nashville. So what I think most people don't know is you might be the only actual native Nashvillian in Nashville. Is that true? Uh, that has been, I've been accused of that a few times. Um, I think there's a couple of natives still running around now. I, like you, have lived a military life and have lived a lot of places but uh, I moved back to Middle Tennessee back in 2009 and don't project we'll ever leave. So great place to be, great place to raise a family for sure. Yeah. So Martin, the topic today is going to be talking about trends in the labor market. I know that's something that many of our listeners are wrestling with right now. And we've got some really good questions I want to ask you. But aside from you being the last native Nashvilleian on the planet, I was wondering if you could just take us through your background. You mentioned your military service. Tell us kind of your journey and then what you're working on today. I oh, appreciate that. Well, like so many of us, uh, it's, uh, it, is, it has been a journey, but a blessed journey in so many ways. As you've touched on, I grew up in the Nashville area. Uh, one of my heroes in life is my mom. I was raised by a single mom. 
graduated from public high school in Metro Nashville, Davidson County, and was very fortunate to be offered an appointment to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and was wise enough at the tender age of 18 to take advantage of that opportunity. And I can say is certainly one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Proudly served our nation for almost six years post-graduation from, from the academy and uh, was commissioned as an infantry officer, stationed a couple of different places, uh, left, left active duty in 1999 and uh, got into the civilian business world, specifically recruiting. And it has truly been my life calling to be at that intersection of business and, and people. And I love it with all, with, all my, with all my heart, mind, and soul. So since 1999, I've really done two things uh, in, in the private sector. I've done professional recruitment for 19 years. I did spend about four years in healthcare on the supply side with a couple of large companies, but um, I've been very blessed to own and operate Plumbling Associates since 2012. So in fact, just in a couple of short weeks, we will celebrate 10 years of successful operations. So very humbled and very honored to, to make that what I think is a pretty landmark number. So that's great. Well, I think the one time I had visited you at your office, I've seen you at the, uh, the local MT Sherm meetings, sure. you know, you were at a point where I think you guys were busy, but this was long before we had this tumultuous last, you know, two or three years or whatever it's been. So I guess like many people in this industry, things have really changed and probably not making things easier. And so the audience that's listening today, I'm sure many of them struggle with this. How do we acquire talent? What is the best way to do it? And how do we do it when everybody is searching for what seems to be a very limited, you know, supply of qualified candidates? And I'm hoping you can help us wrestle with that. So from where you sit, Martin, sure. what are the top three current trends that you're starting to see in the labor market? Well, there, there's many trends that you've touched on, Mac. Uh, I'll just... I'll just make this very clear to the, the audience. Uh, if you're finding talent now, congratulations. If you're struggling, like many of us, whether you're a recruiting firm, whether you're a, a hiring corporation or company, um, I call it the tug of war for talent. It is absolutely real. It's absolutely hard. And in, in my almost two decades of doing this, this is clearly the hardest it's ever been. Um, so I, I, would, I would tell you, candidates are in the driver's seat. They, uh, they have a wish list. They are, are, they are gunning to achieve most of that wish list or they're going to stay put. And so um, a lot of the great candidates we're dealing with already have offers in hand or nearing offers. But when they come to conclusion with our, with our clients and uh, secure their offer, they're literally two or three offers generally in hand. And that's, that's hard. That's very hard. Um, so how do, how do companies you know, navigate that process? Um, the next trend we're seeing a lot, of course, is has been the topic du jour the last uh, two years is remote work at a minimum, some type of hybrid work schedule. Candidates are practically demanding that. And so companies, if they've been uh, maybe they adopted those practices for COVID, but they're going to have to maintain some of that at a minimum going forward. Now, my wife is in HR, specifically in the manufacturing realm. You, you can't you can't make widgets remotely. You can't you know, stock a warehouse <laughs> in a virtual <laughs> world. So yeah, certain jobs, certain industries require physical presence, um, which kind of leads it to um, you know, shift work and, and some of these blue collar hands-on industries. How do we get creative with work schedules? Because people can make the same or better money and find a day shift job versus working second or third shift. 
that is a real challenge. How do we navigate that? How do we help companies win and overcome some of these real obstacles? Um, and then finally, another trend, and, and this is very important work, but the, uh, everything around diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. And how do we, how do we, some companies need to improve. There's no doubt. And how do you make your company attractive to uh, folks with all kinds of skills and abilities that come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, et cetera? And how do you make it compelling and so attractive that they want to work there? And if you haven't done well with that in the past, how can we do better going forward? So uh, those are just three of the trends that I see my clients dealing with on a regular basis. So we're trying to give them good advice best we can. So I guess my question is, Martin, what brought this on? Because I'm old enough to, like during the Great Recession of 08, 09, I was doing a fair amount of outplacement work for an outplacement firm at the time. And, you know, there were some horror stories, right? People would come to work and they couldn't log into their computer. So they'd call IT and IT would say, well, uh, you didn't hear, you, you've been let go. And they're like, what? Or you walk in your office and there's a white box and you got to fill it and get out of there. I mean, people were treated horribly. And I don't know whether people said, wow, that will never happen to me again. But this is a different thing. Now, you said that the candidates in the driver's seat. What happened? Is there like fewer human beings on the planet? Is there more people looking for work? I understand the, the interest in virtual work. COVID gave everybody the chance to taste it. And you're right. Not everybody can do it. But what is so different today that we didn't have, you know, 12 years ago? Well, I, I think first and foremost, technology, right? We, we get job posting, job alerts to our phones. Um, I mean, it's 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 everywhere, right? The press, radio, newspapers, <laughs> magazines, wherever. I mean, the the the, the demand for talent is, is just prevalent, and it's in your face. So at some point, you start to believe, well, hey, I can be in demand. I can do better. And um, I, I think technology is, is part of this. I think it's. Um, Part of that, then you, you look at the youngest generation now, the millennials, these, these folks have grown up with technology. And so they embrace it. Their world literally revolves around their phone, their iPads, their lap, laptops. And so they, they receive these job alerts, these job postings. And so, again, you start to think, hey, the job market is pretty solid. I need to dip my toe in the water. Um, so I just think it's opportunity. I think it's technology. I think it's just the prevalence of everything really at your fingertips that has not, was not even afforded to us even 12 or 13 years ago. Well, you know, a term that I hear about now, in fact, I read an article this morning, it's not relevant to what we're talking about, but it kind of is, there's this thing called revenge travel, right? So everybody's like, I've been cooped up for two years. I'm going to pull out all the stops. We're going to have this lavish vacation. My fear is that there is going to be revenge recruiting. Yeah. And, and the reason I say it is going back to what I saw in 2008, 2009 and candidates, and they were treated horribly. Sure. I see the same thing happening now to companies. They are being treated horribly. They're getting ghosted. Yeah. People are not taking it serious. I mean, do you see, a, and I hate to even think this, that there will be revenge recruiting, like when the economy does whatever it's going to do, because I don't think anybody can predict it now, that then it will be a company's market. That's right. Do you see any potential for that? God forbid. I, I, I do. And I, I've seen some online traffic just the last two weeks around, you know, companies are questioning, well, you know, how can we be ghosted? And, and is that right? And you've touched on it. I mean, people were mistreated 10, 12 years ago. And that's and, and people, human beings at the end of the day have feelings. They can be fragile. And losing your job, we know, is one of those life traumas that it's hard to overcome. 
And if you get in that vicious cycle where, I mean, we've all seen people lose a position two or three times in a four or five year period, that can really damage your confidence, your psyche. And those are things to, to over, uh, they're hard to overcome. So I do think we all need to come to the table, wherever, whatever role you play in this HR and this recruitment process, and just have open and honest dialogue about, hey, what's working, what's not, how do we get better, what's your perspective, here's my perspective, and let's just have uh, honest dialogue to make it better because it is not perfect. But yeah, you get into revenge and spite and all these other uh, activities, that, that's just not professional and that's not the way to do it. But we've all got to be honest with ourselves and understand, hey, at some point we, we, we individually or collectively have messed something up. How do we learn from it and how do we get better? Yeah, rather than just ratcheting up the the rhetoric and all that. That's my right. fear. I mean, we see that enough in other things. I'd hate to see it in the workplace. Yeah, but please, no. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like, all right, so it is a candidate's market, which means now it is up to companies to recruit. I mean, this is where you actively have to sell. And so uh, I'm guessing most companies that we did it, we hired an associate not long ago, we used Indeed. And it's like, wow, you put something out there and you know, you get all, I think we, we cut it off at 67. And then I started to sort through it and I thought, okay, of these 67, there's only like five people that actually have anything that we were asking for. Sure. And you know, most of them had technical training. We found like two and of the two, you know, the, our, you know, one of them worked out, the other one didn't want to take it after all, but it was very frustrating and time consuming. So what advice can you offer a company who is now having to take that route? I'm going to have yeah. to recruit, not just locally, but maybe nationwide or worldwide. How do we get people to come to our websites and see those job postings? Yeah, that, 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 that is a hugely important question, Mac, right now. A couple quick thoughts. Number one, I encourage companies to tell your story and that can't be a PR agency or marketing firm. That has to be your own employees that have had such a positive experience with onboarding and maybe they've been there five or 10 years, but they've been promoted two or three times, but let them tell your story. And that to me is, is the answer. And people that have had some life obstacles, life challenges, and the company has supported them and they've overcome it. Maybe they've obtained their degree later in life. Um, maybe they've had some family challenges and their company has supported them. So I think people want to hear from people. And uh, I think that's the, one of the best ways to show, hey, we're, we're a company, but we're comprised of human beings. We want the best for all of our teammates. And here's what we're doing and what we have done to support uh, employees as well as their family. So um, and I think just being creative with how you engage people. And certainly a big part of that today is social media. But I think that's getting out in the community being involved with, with different events now that things have opened back up, hopefully for a while. Um, and, and how do companies engage in the community, show that they're serving their fellow citizens, that they are sowing good seed, sharing resources with those maybe less fortunate. I think people through COVID have recognized that the world is, is a challenging place. I want to be associated. And if I'm going to spend 40 or 50 hours a week working, I want to work with a company that's giving back that's doing, doing well and doing good. And I think that's important for, for companies to, to share that and highlight that, especially as they're recruiting top talent, whether that's key staff, whether that's uh, senior leaders. So I guess if a candidate is mulling, let's say three offers and all right. of them have the same level of salary and benefits, I guess then it comes down to, you know, do I want to, do I want to work for a great company? I mean, I think if I was not a top 
the first round NFL prospect. And I was like, you know, third round and above for me, I know I'm not going to make the big money. So I want to play for a winner. Like God forbid I get drafted by the lions or the Jaguars. You know, I want to go like play for a winning team. Should should companies sort of market themselves like, Hey, we are a winning team. You know, you can make this money anywhere. Why not make it with us? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, I I think that's part of it. I think it's, I think another side of it is understanding, Hey, stability, right? We're talking about there's some headwinds around a a likely or potential recession, or at least a market correction. The stock market's feeling that currently. Um, I, I think it's, it's the, about, uh, hey, we treat all of our teammates with dignity and respect. We allow people to have time to get out and serve their local communities in, in whatever way they see fit. Um, I think it's, yes, we're leaders in our industry, but we're doing it the right way. Uh, I think companies that have values that, are, again, can tell stories that tie back to their value set, I think it can be a true differentiator. So uh, yeah, the money is going to ultimately kind of be somewhat equal here and there. But it's that uh, it's that intrinsic money. I like to talk about how do we pull on people's heartstrings to say, hey, this could be the right place for you. And here's why. Well, on that note, because that would suggest, okay, once we get them in now, we want to keep them. It's going to be more cost effective for us to keep employees than have to go out there and continue to recruit them. But in terms of retention, this is the the fear I have, because we've experienced this, you know, when you want to get like. TV, right? So we sign up with Direct TV. Sure. We get this great offer as a new client. And then for the first two years, you're paying, you know, whatever, 80 bucks or whatever. And then suddenly it triples or doubles. And like, wow, we're getting the same crappy TV and now we're paying twice as much. And then you hear the ad, oh, join uh, Direct TV or Dish and all new customers get, you know, 90% off. You're like, wow, how about the loyalty of me paying you for two years? Yeah. Is that something that employees would think about when they start seeing all of these amazing things that companies are putting out to get new talent in and could that harm retention? I I think it absolutely can because that, that leads to, as they do want to leave or get serious about leaving and and companies maybe sits them down and goes through that counteroffer discussion, right? If I'm that candidate, this desired, right? We all want to be courted and desired by external parties sometimes. Um, Hey, 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 Mr. Hiring Manager, Miss Hiring Manager, why haven't you taken care of me? Why haven't you valued me? Because I've had, I'm looking at going external to truly find my market worth. But yes, I've been here for five years and uh, I feel like you've taken me for granted and you haven't necessarily paid me a market competitive wage. Hey, I can go out in the marketplace and do much better, maybe accelerate my career again. So, man, those are, that's, that's where doing right today matters. But man, hopefully you've done some good work in the past. It gives you a little bit of grace and a little bit of a uh, wiggle room with those employees that you do value and, and, but you, you have to own it. And that's where companies that don't make excuses that say, Hey, we're going to do better by you. And here's the plan. Here's some things around training and development. Here's some, maybe this is a, uh, looks like a, a job transfer to get you a different skill set to make you even more promotable. But having, I think it comes down to having one-on-one conversations with people and that can't be monthly or quarterly or annually, I think for certain people, they want to have a five-minute career development discussion weekly or twice a month, right? People don't want to know how much you know. They want to know how much you care. Mm -hmm. If you take the time to sit down with them and have those open and honest conversations, that's going to pay dividends. It's a lot harder for them to lead when they know that their their company leadership values uh, their work 
their results, but certainly them as them as an individual and as a human being. For those things that are done to attract talent, I mean, where do we get to the point where it becomes diminishing returns? You know, we say, oh, we're going to give you a pay bump. We're going to, I mean, at what point do people say, hey, that's great. My complaints are still there. I'm just yeah. now a higher paid disgruntled employee. I mean, is there, is there a yeah. line that somebody should draw and say, okay, you know what, you're going to have to move on if, because this is all I can offer. Yeah. Is that something that companies should think about? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You, 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 there has to be, there has to be a cap. There has to be a limit at some point to say, yes, we've moved, we flex, but we're still running an operation here. We, right? we, we have to generate profits. Um, so that's, again, sometimes that's case by case. Sometimes that's department by department, but companies need to have, need to know where their left and right limits are so they can make great decisions. And you don't want to be scrambling to figure that out because Joe could walk in your office on Friday afternoon at four o'clock and <laughs> Joe wants to go home. And man, how do you keep him interested and engaged and keep him around if you want to keep him around? Um, so this is, this stuff is, I like to say, Mac, this is a, uh, when we were growing up, Rubik's cube was what? Three by three. <laughs> now they're what, nine by nine, 12 by 12. I mean, it is complicated mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it takes diligent work on a regular basis to keep these things top of mind because it's dynamic, it's fluid. And what was true a year ago isn't always true today. Yeah. Well, let's talk again about the remote option because it seems like that would be something that, you know, an employee would come and say, Hey, you know, I, I find myself someday sitting here just staring at a computer all day. I could easily be doing this from home and be more efficient and not have to, you know, you know, do the commute and, and do all these different things. What is some of the challenges that people should be thinking about when employees come up and say, Hey, I want to do remote work. I mean, we've talked about, you know, certain production jobs, you can't do that right. from home, but for sure. the ones that could, what are some of the, the pitfalls of that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I would offer this. Um, certain employees are, are going to perform no matter the setting in the office at home, working from Starbucks for portions of their day. Um, however, there are certain employees that need to have that structure and that accountability by being uh, in an office or being in their uh, appropriate work setting. So I, I, I tell my clients, listen, it doesn't always make sense. It's hard to manage person by person. We need to have structure and policies and SOPs department by department, business unit by business unit. However, I think it's, are you willing to engage and have those flexible conversations to say, hey, for this season, let's try this. All right. Mm -hmm. Next quarter, we may go a different direction. But, hey, I, I think everything has to be on the table. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and being able to have those mature discussions to say, hey, what works for this group or this individual? Because, hey, like we've talked about, there are seasons of life. And there may be a six or 12 month period where working from home four or five days a week makes sense for, for me. But the next season may be, Hey, I, I, based on if I'm leading a marketing department, uh, there's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of things that need to happen face to face. We are more creative when we're in a room together. I heard a, uh, a, the CEO of a large company here in the middle of Tennessee area recently at a panel discussion, talk about, Hey, Having having those open and honest discussions are best served when we're in the same conference room, mm -hmm. right? Over Zoom, it's hard to get hard to read that body language. It's hard to get people to really be open and honest when 
you know, this Zoom is being recorded, <laughs> but we're in a room and we know, hey, we, we can roll up our sleeves and have those these uh, healthy debates. That only is going to make that team or that that company better. But um, again, these, these last two years have been unprecedented and it's, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. But in certain, certain instances, that's simply the right call. Well, you know, we had talked earlier before we went on the air and, you know, my daughter is in her first year working for a large company up in St. Louis and she's 100 percent virtual. Mm. So the one thing I'm finding more and more, and I guess I'm in that season now where my kids think that my wife and I are really, really smart. <laughs> you know, you kind of go like your parents are really brilliant. And then in your teens, they're like, your parents are idiots. Now we're kind of smart again. And then in another 10 years, be like, oh, mom and dad, they've lost it. But the thing I'm hearing from my daughter is that, you know, she's at, even today, she sent me an email or a text. She says, hey, dad, can we have a career conversation? And I thought that really should be your boss. But she's yeah. not even seen her boss face to face. Her team is dispersed. They're completely virtual. She, I think, is missing out on opportunities to mentor or to be mentored. And right. yeah, it's a big concern. And so I wonder, you know, with the virtual thing, just from your perspective and experience, Martin, do you think that that w will play a little part into maybe development not happening as well with employees? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is hard to develop that commitment and that loyalty over video, hmm. right? And certainly, uh, as I as I talk to people that I bring into my team to work with my organization, I say, listen, I can maintain relationships over email or text or even over the phone, but for me to really accelerate that that relationship, it's, it, it has to be face-to-face. -face. So we, we've seen many companies just hire, hey, we've done two video chats. We feel comfortable. We're going to hire this, this gentleman or the, this lady. And that's that that's that's pretty bold in many instances but that's what life has required perhaps mm -hmm. but in terms of developing that stickiness and that loyalty uh for from that individual to that that organization man it, it's there's got to be ways to get in front of your people quarterly uh semi-annually whatever to to build those relationships uh, i just I, I think technology is a great tool but it can't be your operational DNA. It's 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 a it's it's a great tool, and when it works, it's wonderful. But man, to 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 really grow and nurture your people, there's got to be some regular rhythm of of personal interaction. Okay. Well, let's talk about the candidates for a minute, because right now we're all searching for the perfect candidate. Well, we're not, but many companies are. We got plenty of great ones at our company. But the frustration point for candidates, especially. I guess if a company has not wised up to the fact that there's a lot of competition it used to be an interview. I mean, I was thinking like when my wife got out of the, when she retired from the Navy, she worked in the GS system. It could take a year to get hired into a GS. And these aren't even high level. These are like GS seven positions. So what can companies do to make this process a little faster and a little bit more attractive to candidates? Cause if you tell me, Oh yeah, our recruit process takes about three to six months. Like, I don't want to be starving for three to six months. Right. What advice right. would you offer companies about how to do this better? Yeah, that's that. That is a million dollar question. I think companies we've talked about screening through resumes, and that can be painful. And applicant tracking systems and platforms do a decent job. They're not perfect, but I think on the front end, we have to make every step in the process more efficient, more timely. Uh, I'm, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one specific tool I'm a big fan of. 
I know some companies use when they do run ads on LinkedIn, LinkedIn has an easy apply function and mm -hmm. it's two or three steps and boom, your resume is submitted. People can, uh, you know, that high, that recruiter, the person on the other end of that can review your LinkedIn profile. It, it is a quick, easy, efficient way to get involved in a hiring process. So I just think we're going to have to go ATS 2.0 or 3.0 to help companies because uh, you want to be, I think ATSs are meant to screen people out. We've got to figure out ways to bring more people into the table because if you run an ad and you get 350 applicants, but only four of them are qualified, something's wrong, mm -hmm. right? And how do we get the right people to apply, but how do we make it easy for them to apply? So, and, and, and I see some trends and developments around, you can do some of that front end screening with a video, right? Here's five questions. Martin, record your answers send that back to the client and that just keeps things moving along. And I think a hiring process that is timely, that has value added steps along the way to keep that candidate's attention, that will prove itself well. But these days of, of companies that have four or five, six steps in their hiring process, I've got to go see people two, three, and four times. That's yesterday's news. People mm -hmm. will just say, Hey, this is too complicated. I don't have yeah. the time to do that. If I have a great job, I can't jeopardize my job today to go compete for a job I may not even earn. So, right. man, how, how do we, we've got to ask the right questions in a timely manner, make it interesting and value add for the candidates because a candidate experience is a real thing. And if it's not positive in this day and age, people will go online and tell you their opinion. Yeah, that's a scary thing. Well, Let's talk about the candidates for just a minute. And I'm right. talking about a candidate who's applying for a job or maybe the one employee who really wants to stay but be successful. Let's talk about that perspective. So what yeah. could candidates and employees do to better demonstrate their value, their worth? What recommendations would you have for them? Great question. I mean, some of these are very tactical. Um, First and foremost, it's your story, right? As an individual candidate, you have a track record of success. How do you document that in a marketing profile, in a resume, on your LinkedIn profile? And that is best served by being specific, sharing quantifiable accomplishments. Because on paper, if I don't see that track record of success, whether it's online or it's on a resume, um, I'm not going to pick up the phone to call you or even email you for a, a formal conversation because the interview really to me is about the how it's like, Joe, how did you get these results? Susan, how did you make this happen? This is a big challenge. How did you get this done? And so that's where candidates have to be, do a great job of understanding the process, how they got to these successful outcomes. And there's just, there's a lost art, I think of interviewing. Um, I think people, whether it's confidence, whether it's competence, whether it's, hey, I can clearly lay out for you how I got to that, that winning outcome. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> humility is great. But man, at some point, if you're in an interview process, you've got to at some point pat yourself on the back and say, hey, I led this team. I was key, you know, hugely involved in this initiative or this project. And yes, you want to share the credit. But when it's when it's an individual interview, Hey man, you've got to you've got to toot your own horn a little bit and do it with humble confidence, with that ability to convey how you how you generated uh, the, these wins. Yeah, that's great advice. And if you're listening today and you're thinking about being competitive, 
it'd probably be a good idea to start documenting some of the stuff you do. I think we, because I know you've worked uh, with transitioning military and I've done some of that work as well. And we've always had that message. Like, yeah, I know that, you know, you do a lot of these things under the radar, but you know, people got to know. So, you know, learning how to sell yourself, I guess is pretty critical, isn't it? It, it is, it is. And I remember, I know what works for me. I remember when I was interviewing, leaving active duty in the summer of 99 Mac, I literally sent a conference room on Fort Benning, Georgia, and I had five by eight cards. And I had probably 15 of these things laid out mm-hmm. because I think it's, it's, it's absolutely critical that you write out because I think it helps you be more uh, effective in how you communicate when you can reference what you've done. Going from, I think sometimes people go, well, I did this. I'll recall it easily. Well, under the gun, you might not. And interviewing is, listen, it's uh, it's a conversation, but it's also an audition. And man, the more you practice, the more you rehearse these things. Again, you can record yourself now. You can sit with your best friend or your spouse and, and just work through these things. Because I just think uh, somehow we've gotten a little bit away from um, practice, right? And, and crafting and sharpening our tools because... Uh, man, it is competitive. The job market's tight, but yet certain jobs are truly highly competitive. And how do you lean across the finish line, right? How do you lean in and and show yourself to be that top candidate? Well, that comes back to your personality, your accomplishments, how you fit into the next team. But sometimes just those little, little things at the end, being more polished, being more prepared can really make that that final difference. Excellent. Well, for the audience that's listening, that is in this war for talent and they're having a tough time in it, Martin, what is the benefit of working with a recruiting firm? Well, it's, uh, <clears throat> that's a very important question. <laughs> uh, um, listen, that, that is, I'll start with where the recruiting industry has, has faulted itself over the years. It has become very commoditized. And I will say this, many firms have allowed themselves to be commoditized because they don't differentiate themselves properly. Uh, at the end of the day, there is there is a talent pool, whether it's at the local, state, regional, national level. There's, one, there's some talent pool. We all can access the talent pool to some degree. But at the end of the day, each firm has a certain select number of candidates that they've built good relationships with. So when, when a client looks to go external and they say, hey, we've looked at every option, we've opened this up internally, we've asked for referrals, right? All of our all of our wells are dry. Now we have to go ex- truly external. And that's where you've got to figure out what firm is a good match for us, how we work, how do they operate, what is their value set, and how can they access a talent pool that we haven't tapped into? And, and that's at the end of the day, a recruiting firm worth their salt in 2022 as a passive candidate pool that they've nurtured for some period of time. And they have to be able to articulate that clearly to their clients to say, hey, here's here's how we're doing it. Here's how we can access talent that you haven't necessarily access have access to. Because to me, the, the passive candidate can can be, not always, can be the best candidate for that role. And uh, some of your best firms today are our classic headhunting firms, right? Uh, they're going out and finding the talent versus just running a bunch of ads or just mining their LinkedIn. You have to work hard to go find the best talent for, for your hiring client. So 
Um, at the end of the day, at some point, you got to wave the right, right flag. Make sure you're asking the right questions as you screen and, and go through that selection process. But there are great firms out there that are doing wonderful work. But uh, just just uh, have those honest uh, expectation setting conversations on the front end. Well, on that note, Martin, I was wondering, for those that are ready to wave that white flag, tell me why uh, Plumlee and Associates might be a good fit and who would you be a good fit for? And then how would we reach you? Yeah, all great questions. Well, first and foremost, uh, we'd like to work with clients that have a similar value set to us. We have seven company values and we want to work with those companies that have high integrity, that have a heart for their community, that want to nurture and develop their employees at all levels. So I'll start with that. Um, I, I would say this in terms of industries, we love working in, in really three main industries. First and foremost, right now we're having success in supply chain distribution transportation. We all know some of the current challenges with our American supply chain. Next, we do a lot of great work. I've had a lot of success in our 10 years of existence in financial services, community banking, mortgage banking. And then finally, we love working with our public accounting firms, those uh, professional services firms that uh, work with the individuals and, and client companies to help them uh, run a successful operation from the financial perspective. Uh, functionally, Mac, we do a lot of great work. HR, talent acquisition, uh, finance and accounting, sales and marketing, and procurement. So white collar, middle management, up through the executive ranks. That's where we tend to work the most. Um, I am pleased to say that we have a national footprint. We've done work. I think we've placed people in 17 states now. And uh, one of my goals long term is to do business in every, every state in the great union. So we'll see if we can get that done over the next 10 years. Um, in terms of reaching us, Matt, we're, we're, we're pretty active on, on, on social media. Of course, we have a Plumbling Associates Facebook page. We have a, a Twitter handle, uh, of course, very active on LinkedIn uh, for my personal account, as well as Plumbling Associates. So, um, and of course, our website, real simple, www.plumleyassociates.com, and that's P-L-U-M-L-E-E. -E. And our main office line is 615-546-0300. Three three, again six one five five four six zero three three three. We are based in Franklin, Tennessee, near Nashville. Um, so if you're in Middle Tennessee, we welcome a chance to talk to you and see if we can serve you. We'd love to come see you and get to know you personally, see your operation, and see how we can potentially serve uh, you and uh, and your needs. Excellent. Well, if you are listening to this today and you want an endorsement, I can tell you I've known Martin pretty much since we moved here, which has been about eight years now. And uh, he's a stand-up guy, and he does what he says he's going to do. So I would highly recommend it. Martin, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today and share your perspectives and uh, you know, giving us some insight on what is happening now and what is to come. We really appreciate it. Matt, God bless you, sir. Thanks for the time and, and your efforts and what you're doing out there in the business community. And uh, keep up the good work from your side as well. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, 
and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.